This is the celebration of the most significant event that occurred in the history of the world. So that's a pretty big deal. This is the resurrection of Christ. And we, of course, in today's culture, we make a lot about the crucifixion. And the crucifixion, very, very important thing. But in Jesus' day, someone being crucified was not really that big of a deal. If you know the story, you know that Jesus wasn't even crucified by himself. There were other people crucified with him too. So like, there was lots of crucifixions going on. And that wasn't that amazing that someone would be crucified. What was amazing was that someone would rise from the dead, that the crucifixion wouldn't take, and that they would overcome the grave. That was a big deal. So that's what we celebrate this whole week, the Holy Week that starts with Palm Sunday. That's last Sunday where Jesus entered into Jerusalem. Basically, the, uh, the proclaiming of Jesus as the King of the Jews. Then Monday, Thursday is the Last Supper that Jesus celebrated with his disciples and all the teachings that he gave to his disciples at the Last Supper. Then Good Friday is the crucifixion. And then now Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, I prefer to call it. We celebrate the risen Lord, that Jesus rose from the grave. It's a huge, huge deal. And the greatest news about the resurrection is that we can get in on that power ourselves. We can get in on it. That it wasn't just Jesus rose from the grave, and so that's super neat. It's that Jesus rose from the grave, and so we can have new life now, and we can have everlasting life in the paradise of God. We can get in on the resurrection. That's a big deal. Now, I don't know if you guys are bored with that message, that you can have everlasting life. But let me tell you, the older I get, the more I think that's a pretty cool deal. So we're going to go to Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 5. And here, the Apostle Paul is talking to the church in Rome, and basically he goes through these uh, last few events in Holy Week in just a few verses, and I think it's very significant. So let's take a look here. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? So that's Good Friday, the death of Christ. We're baptized into his death. Other places in Scripture say that we're crucified with Christ. We are baptized into his death, which means that the old is gone. That the things that we're ashamed of, the things that are holding us back, the identity that we have with our failures and our weaknesses, that is crucified with Christ. And we no longer have to identify with our sins and our failures, but that is crucified with Christ. We're baptized into his death. Verse 4, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So just as the death of Christ was not the end of Christ, so when we lay our lives down to Christ, we are crucified with Christ, that's not the end, that's the beginning of a new life. A beginning of a life where we get to live with God in this world, abundant life, newness of life. It's where your life gets better. It might not get easier, as I've said. You know, following Christ isn't necessarily easy, but it's absolutely better. So we get to walk into abundant life, new life in Christ. And then verse 5, if we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. This is everlasting life. 
that death does not have mastery over us either. Death couldn't hold Jesus in the grave. And when we are crucified with Christ and we're living our lives with Christ and for Christ, then we know that we have everlasting life in the paradise of God. We are also united with Christ in his resurrection. That's good news. Amen. Today we're going to talk about being a friend of God. It's a significant concept, something very powerful that Jesus talks about in John chapter 15. Let me ask you first, what's your relationship with God like? How would you describe you and God? You know, are you a believer, a worshiper, a disciple, a servant, a child of God? You know, we're called co-heirs with Christ. How about friend? It's an interesting word that Jesus uses in describing his disciples. He calls them friends. To me, that's a little hard to assume myself into being a friend. But we're going to look at how to be a friend of Jesus today. John chapter 15, we're going to start in verse 9. Jesus is teaching this at the Last Supper. He's with his disciples, and they're spending time together, and he's going to be arrested late that night, and then the next day is the crucifixion. He's teaching this in the last moments that he has with his disciples that is uninterrupted. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. So he's saying to his disciples, obey my commands. And he's being very plain about what the command is that he's specifically focusing on. Love each other as I have loved you. So how has Jesus loved you? He rejected you until you were perfect and then he loved you. When you finally were paying attention to him and made him more important, then he loved. Jesus loved you before you cared. Jesus loved you if you were someone that pushed God away, pushed other people away from God. Jesus loved you in the midst of that. And he says, as I have loved you, love each other. Verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. This is an important piece of the teaching. He taught many other things to his disciples at the Last Supper, but he is absolutely hammering home the point that the believers in Jesus are to love one another. As Christ has loved us, so we are to love one another. And it's amazing that Jesus calls his disciples friends. They've progressed from servants to friends. That is absolutely amazing. The problem that I see today is that too many people have a relationship with God like a second grader has with the principal. You know, you just didn't want to get in trouble, right? That was the whole thing. 
You wanted to pull stuff and not get noticed. And so you were always kind of on the edge. I don't know, maybe you guys were all much better than I was, but I was reasonably good. I got in trouble one time for playing tag, but I always wanted to be more creative, you know? So we played tag, but you could only be on top of the desks. So we were jumping from desk to desk playing tag. That was awesome. Got in a lot of trouble for that one, but... But we don't want to have a relationship with Almighty God that is like the relationship that a second grader has with the principal, where we're just worried about getting in trouble and we're trying to keep as much distance as possible so that nothing bad happens. That's not the relationship we want to have. Instead, we want to find out what does it mean to be a friend of Jesus? Did you know there's, from John chapter 15 here, there are two conditions for being a friend of Jesus. Two conditions. There are no conditions for Jesus being your friend. He is your friend. The only question is, are you his friend? Have you ever had a relationship where you were a friend to someone, but they weren't a friend to you? Friendship doesn't automatically go both ways. And let me tell you, Jesus is your friend. He will help you. He is there for you. He cares about you. He knows what's going on. Jesus is your friend. He's paid a price for you. Jesus is your friend, but are you his? Let's go to Romans chapter 5, 8 through 10. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 9, since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? This is a verse that's there to help people who feel like they're just not doing their faith well enough for God to love them anymore. And the point here is if if when you were an enemy of God, that God loved you so much to send his son to this world to die for your sins that you could be reconciled to God, if he did that when you were his enemy, how much more is he going to love you now that you're just a follower of him that's kind of messing up a little bit? He's going to love you even more. But is the sinner a friend of God? It describes here in verse 10, if when you were God's enemies, you were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life? It describes the sinner as an enemy of God here. Your enemies are not your friends. We need to make sure we're not an enemy of God. We're not someone who is opposing God, who is fighting against God, who is running away from God. We need to be friends of God. So how do we be a friend of God? We know Jesus is our friend no matter what, but how can we be his friend? Let's go back to John chapter 15. The first condition is verse 14. Obey the commands. That is, do it. You are my friends if you do what I command. Now, we're going to make some sense out of this. You ever had a friend like that? (laughs) As long as you're doing what I say, we're cool. (laughs) But after that, not so good. So that's probably not the way to read this verse, right? As long as you do exactly what I want you to do, we can be friends. But if there's anything else going on, we can't be friends. What is this talking about? That obey his commands. Now, this is necessary, but not sufficient. If you like hunting, you probably have some hunting buddies. If you like fishing, you probably have some fishing buddies. If you like quilting, you might have quilting friends. I like Monopoly. And 
if you want to be my Monopoly friend, then we can play some Monopoly. But I tried to play Monopoly with my wife's family, like her mom and her aunt and these people. And here's the deal about my wife's family. They'll cheat at anything. (laughs) And so... I'm trying to play Monopoly with these people, and they're stealing money from the bank, and they're stealing properties, and saying that then they're taking stuff from other people, and that, you know, somebody goes to get something, and they're rearranging the board, and, and it just messes up the game, and you can't play Monopoly with people when they do that. So you can't be my Monopoly friend unless you play Monopoly according to the rules and, of course, the house rules that we've set up. And that's basically what Jesus is talking about. Don't wreck everything. If you want to be my friend, don't wreck the plan. Be part of what's going on. And then that's what ties into this second part, which is the next verse, verse 15, which is, if you want to be a friend of Jesus, do it, obey the commands, but also get it, understand the commands, be on board with what Jesus is trying to do. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. So a servant is told what to do. They don't need to know why. You just follow the rules. You don't need to understand. You're a servant. Now that is how a lot of people have their relationship with God. There's these rules. I don't know why. They seem stupid to me. I'm going to try to get away with as much as I can get away with because I don't get it. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. He's saying, you're my friends because I've, I've told you everything. I've let you in on the inside. I want you to get it. Everything the father's shown me, I've made known to you. I want you to understand, to catch on, not just follow the rules, but understand why they're important and care about the same things that the rules are trying to accomplish. This can be where something wonderful happens. What was the rule that Jesus kept repeating in John chapter 15 that we kept looking at? Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Love each other. That's the rule he kept giving forth. Obey my commands. Love each other. Well, okay, we can obey that, but how do you do that? How does that work? I mean... You know, we don't even all know each other. You know, you you come to a church service, you go home. How do you love each other? How does that happen? How does that work? A couple weeks ago, I said, uh, the closer you are to Jesus, the farther away you park. Remember that? (laughs) And then Pastor Celia told me that the next week, the back park in the Super One lot was full. (laughs) Everybody parked over there. And, uh, you know, we had a huge weekend, and we had empty spots. And I noticed that this morning, when this service started, there were still spots open right by the door. I'm like, oh, that's, that's awesome. So one way that you can love somebody is by making room for them. You know, someone comes in, scooch over a little bit. It's fairly simple, the way that these things happen. But if you get it, That's where you go from following a rule and you're not really sure what to do when some change happens to being able to understand, oh, we're supposed to care about people and put other people's needs first. Okay, I can do that. And a beautiful thing happens. What was Jesus trying to accomplish when he said, love each other? As I have loved you, so you must love one another. If the followers of Christ obeyed that rule, what would end in this world? It would be the end of loneliness. Loneliness would be done. No one would walk through this life alone. 
No one would have to face trials and struggles without a support network, without people who care around them. No one would be alone and in despair with no one to help them if we followed that rule. Wouldn't that be a beautiful thing? If we ended loneliness on the earth, love one another. Do you want to be a friend of Jesus? I want to be a friend of Jesus. That means obey the commands, but don't follow them like a servant. Understand what they're there for. Try to get a feel for what the rules are for. Why is the rule there? Have you ever been mad about a rule? Well, try to think, what's the rule there for? What's the heart behind it? Why is it in there? Have you ever read something in the scriptures, a command in the scriptures, and thought, oh, wow, what? Have you ever done that? You guys be honest now. Yes, you have. I hope you have. Because if you read it with the intent of actually doing what it says, and you see something in there like, love your enemies, you're like, how am I supposed to do that? It's not easy. And you don't know how to do it besides what it even means, really. Like, how do you get there? Well, what you need to do then is realize that God's not making rules because he's mean. Why does God make rules? Because he loves us and he knows better than we do. So he's trying to help us out because he's got greater perspective. He knows everything. He understands it all and he's trying to help us. And we don't have the perspective to be able to know everything. So we got to trust him on some stuff. So when we read a rule that we don't really like, that we don't understand, we have to try to seek the heart of God with the rule. What if everyone loved their enemies? Well, the number of enemies would start to plummet. The world would start to change. What if in our current political system, what if everyone loved their enemies? The news would go out of business. You know what I mean? That'd be it. It would change the world. Yeah, okay, it's hard to love your enemies. But what's God trying to do? What's he trying to accomplish? There's some beautiful, wonderful things here. Now, at our Good Friday service, Pastor Ted over at Grace asked four other pastors to say, what does the cross mean to you? And just share that. So we all shared, me and and Andy from Arise and Pastor David from St. Paul's and then Fred from Journey all shared what the cross means to us. And to me, the cross is where we're all standing, facing the cross, all kinds of different people with all kinds of different stuff going on, all kinds of different understandings, all kinds of different people in front of the cross, but together, unified, standing together before the cross, forgiven and free. That's what I see with the cross. But I was reading through 1 Corinthians chapter 11 where Paul is is talking to the church in Corinth about how they're doing their love feasts, their agape feasts, which is basically like a communion service and a potluck mixed together, uh, and they weren't handling it very well. And Paul was trying to explain how they needed to do it better. And as I was reading 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and tying it into the scourging of Christ, the beatings of Christ, Jesus carrying his own cross and being driven and then being exhausted and and someone else having to carry the cross and then Jesus having nails pounded through his hands and his feet and crucified on a cross and how abused Jesus' body was that day, throughout that whole day, the abuse 
that came to the body of Christ. I was looking at 1 Corinthians 11, and Paul was talking about abuse still happening to the body of Christ. And it was obvious at that moment that there's still abuse happening to the body of Christ, even to this day. Because what is the body of Christ? The body of Christ is the followers of Jesus. It's the people. We are the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we're going to read some from that. But that's the chapter right before 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is the one body, many parts. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. If one part rejoices, all the parts rejoice with it. It's talking about the group of believers and how they treat each other. And so I want to look at three ways that I feel like people can fail to be a friend of Jesus because they bring division rather than unity into the body of Christ and thus are abusing the body of Christ. So let's go to 1 Corinthians 11, starting in verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. So we saw the previous verse, you know, we have to understand the body and the blood. Here it says, anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. What would that mean a few decades after the resurrection of Christ? You know, his body wasn't here. But again, only a few more verses. This is the, towards the end of chapter 11. And chapter 12 is one body, many parts. That in the midst of the diversity of the followers of Christ, we all come together to form one body. We recognize the body of the Lord. We need to see what's going on with other people. And the beginning of this chapter, they were talking about when they come together. You know, it was like a potluck. People would bring stuff, but rich people would bring really nice food, and they would just eat it themselves, and other people wouldn't have anything, and they'd be uh, going hungry watching the other people eat their food. Is that okay? (laughs) They're not recognizing the needs of the other people. And then other people would, you know, bring a lot of wine. They'd get all drunk, and there was mayhem. It just wasn't working. They weren't considering each other. They weren't paying attention to each other's needs. They weren't loving one another. They were just taking what they wanted for themselves. So in the church service, the the communion potluck service, they weren't paying attention to the needs of others. And then check out the next verse. This is amazing. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. That's very harsh. Because you're not paying attention to the needs of others in the church, you're not recognizing the body of the Lord. Many of you are weak and sick and have, have died. That's extraordinarily harsh. 
I would never have anticipated that if I hadn't read that. How do we do that? Well, in today's church world, church is more of an event than a family. But it's clear, you know, we can't be, have super close relationships with everyone who's a believer around the world. But everyone who's a believer should have some close relationships and some people who can help them through life. People who pay attention and notice when they don't have something, they can help them. If they show up, that, you know, run out with an umbrella if it's raining and help them in. Those sorts of things. We need to love each other, help each other. And when people don't notice the needs of others, that can create a divided body of Christ. It's division through the attenders. So instead of that, instead of not noticing the needs of others, we want to do Romans 12.10. Instead of not noticing that, of course, we want to love each other. As Jesus has loved us, so you must love one another. And here, Romans 12.10, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, Honor one another above yourselves. Pay attention to the needs of others. We want to bring unity to the body of Christ by noticing the needs of others and helping. Hugely important. Another way that there can be division is by leaders causing division. You know, Jesus called people false prophets, false teachers. Just to make it simpler, let's just call it leaders who cause division. Leaders who are more interested in getting people to come to their church or participate in their ministry than they are interested in advancing the cause of Christ. Is that possible thing going on maybe in today's world? <laughs> because you don't want to go from a servant of Christ, a friend of God, into like a religion salesman that's getting a commission. Now that's a, oh, ugh. who wants to be a religion salesman that's getting commissioned? We want to be about the kingdom of God. We want to be advancing the kingdom of God. So for leaders, let's not pull people into our group. Let's help advance the kingdom of God. Uh, Galatians 4.17 describes this problem of leaders that cause division. And it says this, those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may be zealous for them. So Paul is having to deal with the church in Galatia and other people coming in and trying to win them over to get them to follow them. So these are divisive leaders. But there's also divisive followers. 1 Corinthians 1, 10 through 13. We want, don't want to be followers that divide. I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another so that there may be no divisions among you and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized into the name of Paul? You know, was Pastor Mike crucified for you? Of course not. Is Christ divided? Now, there's no indication here that Paul or Apollos or Cephas, which is Peter, did anything wrong. It was the followers that were pitting different ministers against each other. It was the followers that were creating division. So it's very important not to become a connoisseur of religion who goes from church to church and tries to figure out which one is the best and pit them against each other. Instead, what we want to do is pray about where we're to attend church and then be faithful there. There's no perfect church. You're not going to find it. If you go somewhere and you find yourself unhappy with how it's going, start to change it. Start to make the difference. In a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about 
thermostats and thermometers and how a thermostat can tell the temperature, a thermometer can change the temperature. And what we've got too much of in Christianity is angry thermometers. They're just mad that the temperature is what it is. Well, become a thermostat. Learn how to change the temperature. Be able to help and make a difference. Pray about where you're supposed to go and be faithful and be part of the solution instead of the problem. So here's the conclusion. If we want to be friends of Jesus and we want to not tear his body apart, but keep the unity of the believers, keep loving one another, then we need to get on board with God's plan, which is for leaders to lead people to Christ, even if that leader does not benefit from it. And it's for followers to faithfully serve without comparing and criticizing. And it's for all believers to be considerate of others and put other people's needs first. If we do that, we are helping the body of Christ come together and we are being part of God's plan and it will help us become friends of God. As I was reflecting on this, you know, leaders that cause division are very often unaware that that's what they're doing. What they think they're doing is defending the truth, but they're actually causing division. Followers who are causing division also don't know that they're, they're doing that. They just think they're noticing the differences between things and getting connected with the ones that are the best for a little while, and then they get connected with another one. Attenders who don't notice the needs of others and ignore the needs of others are unaware of what they're doing. We're so often unaware. That's why in 1 Corinthians 11, let's read that again, 28 and 29. 1 Corinthians 11, 28, a man ought to examine himself. That's plenty good right there. That's why we need to look. Am I part of the solution or part of the problem? Am I part of bringing people together before the cross of Christ? Or am I part of creating division and separation? Let's examine ourselves. We examine ourselves. We pray. And then let's believe for new life in Christ. Our closing verse is going to be Romans 6, 3 through 5 that we read earlier. Because we need to grab hold of the amazing things that happened thousands of years ago this week in Jerusalem with Jesus. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we've been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. So we want to make sure that we're crucified with Christ, living new life, and living in hope of the resurrection. It's a fantastic, glorious gospel that we believe. So let's pray. Let's go before the Lord. This is a good day to get some prayer and to trust God. So let's go before the Lord. Heavenly Father, we just thank you that you have opened your heart to us. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are a a friend to us, an amazing, wonderful, glorious friend to us, a friend that loves us in our failures, a friend that doesn't give up on us, a friend who's always there, a friend who has sacrificed for us. Thank you, Lord, for being our friend. Lord, help us to be friends of you. Help us to play by the rules and not ruin your plan, not throw a monkey wrench in what you're trying to accomplish, but Lord, help us to understand it. Help us to get it, to catch the vision of what you're trying to accomplish in this world and for eternity. Help us to see it so that we don't accidentally mess up what you're trying to do 
and turn out not to be a friend of yours. Lord, help us to love each other. Lord, to love one another in the congregation. Lord, to love the other churches and to cheer for them, to believe God for revival to happen everywhere. And Lord, as we lead people, help us to lead people to you and to not worry about the rest. Lord, I pray you would give us joy and that you would show us the full extent of your love so that we can be filled up and have extra love to share with anyone in this world that's difficult to deal with. Lord, let it be. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.